you would have enough to know who Jesus is, uh, what he has done for us, why he came to this earth, how he died for our sins, how he rose from the dead, and you would even have uh, the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Mark. So the Gospel of Mark is foundational, and Mark built this Gospel on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. By the way, the phrase, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, in our Bible is found only in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Everywhere else is called the Gospel of Christ, or, or the glorious Gospel of Christ, or the Gospel of God, or Paul calls it our Gospel, my Gospel, but this is the only place you have these specific words, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 2, as it is written in the prophets. And so when John begins his Gospel, he begins his gospel by basing what he's about to write on the Old Testament, on prophecy. And he's doing that for a very good reason. What is that good reason? He's not dreaming this up out of his head. He's not just sitting down telling a story. He's saying this is prophecy that was given. And he quotes from a prophecy given about 700 years earlier in Isaiah. He quotes from that. He says, this is what I'm basing this on. What I'm about to write to you, what I'm about to write about, is based on the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. So here in verses 2 and 3, there are prophecies about John's ministry. Verse 3 the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now what Old Testament scriptures did Mark quote from here? If you happen to have an NIV, I think what it says there is Isaiah the prophet. And uh, he does quote from Isaiah. In verse 3, he quotes from Isaiah. In fact, let's look at that. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 <clears throat> and verse number 3. Isaiah 40, verse number 3. Let's look at these prophecies. Isaiah 40, verse number 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God now hold that with your with one hand and look at Mark chapter 1 again and you'll see that that matches verse 3 I should say verse 3 matches Isaiah 40 verse 3 so verse 3 is quoting from Isaiah but verse 2 Mark chapter 1 verse 2 uh, let's see where that comes from. Let's look at Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. When you find it, just, just say amen so I know we're, that we're all on the same page because we need to all see this in our Bibles. Don't take my word for it. Let's see what the Bible says here. Mark chapter 3 verse 1. Malachi 3 verse 1, I'm sorry. Malachi 3 verse 1. 
Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom he delighted. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And compare that to Mark chapter 1 again, verse 2. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Malachi 3.1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Who is Mark quoting from when he quotes in Mark 1, verse 2? Is that from Isaiah? Mark chapter 1, verse 2 is quoting from Malachi. Mark chapter 1, verse 3 is quoting from Isaiah. And that's why he says in verse 2, as it is written in the prophet, the prophets, plural. Every letter in the Bible is important. That's what the Lord Jesus said every jot and tittle. Those are the smallest marks in the Hebrew language. Every letter is important. And so if you have an NIV, or I think many other English, New English versions, you'll see that that says Isaiah. But that's not correct. Isaiah is one of the prophets given there, quoted there. But Mark quoted from Malachi and from Isaiah. Now, here's something very, very interesting. As my Chinese friends might say, very, very interesting. I mean, that's number five. Very, very interesting. Mark chapter 1, verse 2. Behold, I send my messenger before whose face? Thy face. Thy face. <coughs> Which shall prepare thy way before thee. I saw something very interesting the other day on the internet. Let's see if I can show it up here. People saying, I can't understand these words in the King James Version. Can't understand that. Can't understand. Right. Same people that say that can understand this. This is you singular. <laughs> you, you, and your singular. Singular. Our Bible is very accurate. If you have a new English version, anywhere from 1880 on, it's going to replace this with you, you, and your. And you don't always know to whom who is being addressed. The Lord said to Peter, Simon, Peter, Simon, Satan hath desired thee that he might sift thee as wheat. I prayed for thee, thy faith fell up. That was to Simon Peter. To Simon Peter. And then not long after that, he said to all the disciples, Go ye 
into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Who is he talking to? All of the disciples. Well, the Bible is very accurate. And it's accurate because it accurately translates what is there in the original languages. That's why it doesn't have those distinctions. And so, yeah, maybe it's not so comfortable to our modern English uh, thinking, but it's much more accurate. Now, here's something very, very interesting. In Mark chapter 1, Mark quotes the passage this way. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Malachi chapter 3. I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before whom? Me. Who was speaking in chapter in Malachi three verse one? The Lord, God Himself, Jesus. the Lord. But in Mark chapter one verse two, Mark quotes God as saying in the prophets, "I will I send my messenger before Thy face." Was Mark confused? Or was Mark showing us a truth that was a little bit concealed and he wanted us to think about what is, what, what is Mark saying here? Could it be that God was speaking to uh, his son? I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. Or perhaps was God the Son speaking in Malachi 3, verse 1? And was God the Father speaking in Mark 1, verse 2? I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Hmm. Interesting. <clears throat> Mark, <clears throat> Mark built his account on the solid foundation of Scripture. And Mark pointed to a specific forerunner. Not just, oh, someone's going to come and get people ready to meet Jesus. No. No. He says there's one man specifically chosen, specifically ordained, specifically sent to do this task. Verse 3. Mark chapter 1, verse 3. The voice of one. Of one. The voice of one. The voice of one. Crying in the wilderness. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And I want you to think about this word one. Have you ever felt like I'm all alone? Uh, there's no one around me in my workplace, in my home, in my neighborhood that cares about the word of God, that cares about the truth of the gospel, that cares about souls, that cares about the Lord. Paul said at one point in his ministry, he said, I have no man like-minded. There was no one near him that cared for the things that he cared about, for the souls of the people in the churches that he cared about. I have no one. The psalmist said, no man cared for my soul. And it's easy for us to think that if, if I'm alone, then either... I'm not right 
or I'm on the wrong track, or I can't do this. I cannot walk with God alone. John the Baptist was the only man in the world who knew what he knew. He was the only man in the world chosen in history. The only man chosen by God to do this task. Talk about alone. Talk about singled out. There was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And Mark, Mark pointed to this specific forerunner and Mark explained this forerunner's specific function. His purpose in life was this, to prepare people, to point people to the one who's coming. That was his purpose. That was his mission. That was his mission in life. Right. I, I really believe that it's very easy for us who are Christians to get the idea that we have to do all sorts of many different things in order to be successful as a Christian. And yes, there are many things that we need to know. There are many doctrines that we need to learn, truths that we need to take in and live by. But basically, God has given us a mission. Generally, every Christian has this mission. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. For me to live is Christ. We live to honor Jesus Christ. If you are saved, that's your mission in life. Now, specifically, God has personal will for everyone to follow. But generally speaking, every Christian has this purpose. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. And that purpose is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you're doing that, by God's grace, you're a successful Christian. And if you're not doing that, you are missing the mark. If you're not living to honor Christ. John the Baptist had a special function. And his special function, his purpose was get yourselves ready. To say this, to be this voice, to say get yourselves ready to meet the Lord. We would say roll out the red carpet for the Lord. In fact, that's the idea. That's the idea. In the ancient, in ancient Middle East, the idea was that when a king or an emperor was, was planned to come to a certain place, they would send his army ahead of him and they would smooth out the road. And the way Isaiah says it is that every, uh, every hill shall be made low and every valley shall be exalted. What's that talking about? That means any uneven place in the road was made smooth for the king for the emperor to come in. So Mark is announcing, here comes the king. John was announcing, here comes the king. John the Baptist was saying, get ready, the king is coming. Get the way ready. He was to be a messenger for the Lord, who would go before the face of the Lord's servant to get people ready to meet the Lord. Whoever John would preach about, whoever John would point to, that one would be the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's anointed one, the Lord's chosen one. 
Mark chapter 1, verse 4. Let's think about the preaching of John. The preaching of John. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. God sent John to preach a message that was never before heard in Israel. You don't find this message in the prophets. You don't find this message in the law. You don't find this message anywhere in the Old Testament. This was an entirely new message. First of all, get ready, the Lord is coming. Second, you need to be baptized for the remission of sins. The baptism of repentance. What in the world does that mean? Let me tell you what it means, tell you what it doesn't mean, and then tell you again what it means. <laughs> because this is really important that we get this in verse number 4. Because there's a little word in verse 4 that is so misunderstood, yep. and people go to hell over this word. Yeah. Because they don't understand the word. Here's the word. In fact, you tell me what the word is. Who knows what the word is? Now that is a cute eraser. Remission. What's the word? Verse number four. Remission. Remission. That, that's a good word, but there's Baptist, another word. Baptize. That, that's one of them, but there's another word. It's a small word. What? Four. Four. Ah, ha, ha, ha. F-O-R. I was up late a lot last night, too. <laughs> F-O-R-4. How could that be a stumbling block? Let's look at the verse again. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. What does that mean? Well, in the standard Chinese Bible, it would translate this way. Be baptized. Uh, the baptism of repentance. In order to have your sins remitted. Did you catch that? Have or receive the baptism of, re of repentance in order to have your sins remitted. Now, question. Is that what that verse means? Here we go. Is that what that verse means? The baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. People take this verse to mean this. In order to have my sins forgiven, to have my sins washed away, I need to be baptized so that can take place. That's how people understand this word for. For. Let me read to you what some early church fathers said about baptism. Tertullian, who lived from 155 to 220 AD, quote, without baptism, salvation is attainable by none. Hmm. Origin. What do you have learned about origin before? He lived from 185 to 254. For the apostles knew that there is in everyone the innate stains of sins, which must be washed away through water and the Spirit. 
Ambrose lived from 340 to 397. No one ascends into the kingdom of heaven except through the sacrament of baptism. Were these intelligent men? No doubt. Were they learned men? Yes. Did they live uh, close to the time of the New Testament? Yes. The New Testament was written, was finished right around 90 AD or even earlier. There's now evidence that shows that it was written maybe even earlier than 90 AD. Maybe even earlier than 60 AD. Or as early as 60 AD. Because, because the revelation of John does not mention anything about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. These were intelligent men. They lived close to the time of the New Testament. But were they correct? Were they correct? No. In a nutshell, these three men said that in order to be saved, or be born again, or go to heaven, you must be water baptized. Would you agree with me that that's what they said? You're going to run away. Okay, you have too many sweets this morning? Need more coffee? All right. It, they said, you have to be baptized. That's what they said. I'm not asking if they're correct at this point. Did they say that? Yeah. Yes, that's what they said. Let's see if they were correct. Let's see how the Bible answers that question. We're talking about the preaching of John, but to understand his preaching, we need to understand this question. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I know many of you already know these things, and this is this is kindergarten for some of you, but uh, it's good to review them, and um, it's good to refresh on some of the scriptures, because if you are trying to win souls for the Lord Jesus, and if you're trying to be a witness for them, you're going to run into people that tell you that you have got to be baptized to be saved. I met a lady right across the street over here. What was she left? This, this, right up there. Just a few years ago. Said that very same, that thing, you have to be water baptized to have your sins forgiven. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. This is the Apostle Paul writing a little bit about his ministry. And here's what he said 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you but Christus and God. Lest any should say that I have baptized in mine own name. Okay, so Paul is writing to an entire church, an entire group of people. And he tells them, I'm glad, I'm thankful I did not baptize any of you except these two people. Christmas and guys. Verse 16. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. So three, so two individuals and one family. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. Apparently, it wasn't a big deal to the Apostle Paul how many people he baptized. Right. He wasn't keeping a ledger. Verse 17 is extremely important. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Amen. Does that mean baptism is not important? Does that mean baptism is not part of the Great Commission? It is absolutely important. It is absolutely still part of the Great Commission. But Paul is saying it is not part of the gospel message. That's right. Yeah. The person is saved by believing the gospel of Christ. 
Yes. Yes. Christ died for your sins. He was Amen. buried. He rose again the third day. According to the scriptures, you, you're saved by believing in believing the gospel. Amen. And then after believing, then baptism. If Paul was correct, if he was truly God's apostle to the Gentiles, Amen. then did he miss something really, really important here? Did he send all of his converts to hell because there was no remission for their sins? Baptism is required part of salvation. How could Paul say that Christ sent him not to baptize? John's baptism was baptism of repentance, which means he was baptizing people who had repented. The baptism was a sign to show, I have repented. I have turned from my sins. The baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now the word for apparently does not mean in order to or in order to get. It could mean it could mean this. That baptism is not what for refers to. But repentance is what for refers to. So repentance for the remission of sins. So baptism for the remission of It's not baptism for the remission of sins. It's baptism. I'm sorry. I missed something, didn't I? What did I miss? Repentance. Oh, I've become a modern preacher. Left out repentance. Okay. Am I making this even more confusing? Okay. So the way it's usually read is baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Could it be baptism of repentance for the remission of sins? Meaning, it's, it's, it's the, re the remission of sins comes by repentance. Could it mean that? Or could it mean simply this? Simply this. John was saying, I'm baptizing you because, for me, because you have repented and your sins have been removed. I lean toward these two uh, simply because I think it's very plain in the New Testament that we're not baptized in order to have our sins removed. Right. Um, a pastor friend of mine posted on Facebook. In fact, it was a Brother First, who came here on his honeymoon. Wasn't that a blessing to see a couple on a honeymoon in church? That's a blessing. They're married on Friday in South Dakota. Drove five hours to uh, into Colorado, to Denver. Spent the night in Denver. Got in a plane next morning, Saturday morning. Flew to 
California, right? And then from there came here and landed here at 10 o'clock at night. Stayed in Makaha, Saturday night. I mean, they must have checked in at 12 o'clock. And they were here in church Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I know they're just a young couple, but I want to hold them up as a good example. Amen. <laughs> when you're on vacation, don't forget the house and go. John's baptism. He's preaching. Now notice this. His preaching, John's baptism was not the gospel. Okay? His baptism was not the gospel. You don't find where John says, all right, everybody, I'm going to tell you that the one who's coming, he's going to die for your sins. He's going to be buried. He's going to rise again from the dead the third day. And you're to believe that. He didn't say that. All he said was, I'm getting you ready for him to come. That's what his baptism meant. And there were people in the book of Acts, there were believers in John's baptism that were not saved. That's right, yeah. Apollos, yep. remember that Apollos, yep. Aquila and Priscilla met Apollos, and he was eloquent. Man, the guy could preach. Someone say he could preach the paint off a barn door. That's that's, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but he could preach, and he was eloquent. And after the service, they 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 talked with him and they expounded to him the word of God more perfectly. Right. All he knew was the baptism of John. And he was an eloquent preacher. And he was zealous for God. And he was not saved. Right. He needed to be taught the gospel. John's purpose in his preaching was to get people ready for Jesus. Yeah. That, was his that was his purpose. And that was his message. John's job was not to save anybody. Right. But to get people ready for Jesus. Who would and could save people from their sins. Amen. And so John said in John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God. Look at the Lamb of God who taketh away, who has taken away the sin of the world. So don't anyone get the idea or let your friends think that doing a religious ritual or ceremony or ordinance makes you right with God. It doesn't. John was not making people right with God. He was getting people ready to meet God. That's right. So they could get right with God. Amen. The word of God is crystal clear. There is only one thing that can wash our sins away. Only one. And it's not the water of baptism. I think most of you know that. But let's just see. Let's, let's share a verse. Just raise your hand and just share a verse that talks about the one thing that can wash our sins away. Because if you're a soul winner, you've got to know how to point people to Jesus. You've got to be able to open the Bible and show someone, here's what the Bible says. Because we've got enough of this, I heard a preacher say, or I saw this on Facebook. I didn't tell you what Pastor Matt said, did I? He posted on Facebook. I'll give you that in a minute. There's enough of that hearsay, enough of that secondhand doctrine, and it's not... Most of it's not true. So we've got to be able to open our Bibles and say, here's what the Bible says. Frank, did you know Jim Hart? Yes. He's all that sending to us, right? Yeah, that director. Okay. Now, Jim Hart, I love the way Brother Jim Hart would, would talk with people because he always had his New Testament or his Bible in his hand, in his pocket, 
and he pulled out and he would simply show he'd go to the barracks on Camp Lejeune and talk to the Marines and show them what the Bible says. And he gave a testimony one time. He said, I'm so glad that we don't have to make anybody believe this. He said, our job is simply to give the message. Okay, so here's the message that, here's the part of the message that we need to be sure that we have. And we can share. Where does the Bible say? Where does the Bible talk about the one thing that can wash your sins away? Someone give the verse. Jot this down for me somewhere. First John chapter 1, verse 7. First John chapter 1, verse 7. Let's look at it together. We need to see this. John's purpose was not to tell us how to be saved. It was not to save us from our sins. That was not his purpose. His purpose was to point to the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God takes our sins. And specifically, these verses teach us what, uh, how he washes our sins away. 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Watch this. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's for believers. That's for saved people. It is not anything good that we do as a believer that keeps us clean. It's the blood of Christ. We need to continually be coming back to him for cleansing. Now, how about Revelation chapter 1, verse 5? Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. This is a very important verse about the blood of Christ. Revelation 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And has made us kings and priests and to God his Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look at this. He washed us from our sins in what? In his own blood. In the waters of baptism? No. No. With his own blood. Ephesians 2 verse 13 is another great verse about the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 13. Ephesians 2 verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh, made near, by what? By the blood of Christ. Not by the waters of baptism. By the blood of Christ. So, don't ever, uh, I don't think any of you will be confused about that, but don't allow anyone that you love to go on and confuse you about that. If you have the opportunity, God gives you that opportunity to speak to them, then make that plain. So we looked at the preaching of John, the purpose of John. Let's think about the, the place of John's ministry. Mark chapter 1 again. 
Mark chapter 1, verse 4. John did baptize in the wilderness, the wilderness, and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Um, <clears throat> isn't it interesting that God created man outside of the garden? Which was, the, the garden is a, it's, it's cultivated. It's tended to. And that's why God made man and he put him into the garden. Did you ever notice that? God did not create Adam in the garden. He created man and then he put him in the garden. And he told him to dress it and keep it. So Adam was made in the wilderness. That's interesting to me. Eve was made from Adam's rib in the garden. That's interesting. I don't know why that word keeps coming up in my head here. Interesting. It's very, very interesting. Um, <clears throat> by the way, here's a, here's a very interesting fact, too. After God put man in the garden, he gave him a job to do. What was it? To take care of the garden. And here's an interesting fact. The very first murderer built the first city. Cain was the one who wouldn't built the first city. God made man in the wild, put him in a garden, told him to take care of the garden. The first murderer built a city. That doesn't mean go out and live in the hills. <laughs> That just means that when God made us originally, he made us in nature to enjoy and take care of nature. And we, we, we don't want to live without modern convenience and technology, but let's not get so enamored with things made by man that we lose sight of the things made by God. Right. Uh, Every time I go hiking with Brother Hugh, which has, has been a long time, I think, man, it's been a few years. Um, but he will always pray before we hike and say, and Lord, let us enjoy your creation. That's a good prayer. Let us enjoy your creation. I lived in, you know, I lived in uh, Beijing, for, Beijing for several years, and at one point I just became stir crazy. Not because I was stuck in the house. Although there were times we were stuck in the house for several days because of the pollution we were in. But there, were, there was at one point I just felt like there are buildings and concrete everywhere. I can't get away from concrete. And I was whining and fussing to the Lord about that one day. I was walking back home from work. And I, I was fussing to God. You ever fuss to God? Hmm. Not yeah. you, huh? No, no, no. Yeah. I was fussing to God. I was complaining. I mean, I was... It wasn't sanctified complaining. This was complaint. <laughs> Lord, there's no grass. There's no trees. I can't even walk on the grass. I sat in the grass one time and a security guard came by and said, get off the grass. <laughs> and I was a humble, meek missionary. I said, this is a park. <laughs> he said, you, gotta, you can't sit in the grass. What a terrible testimony. Anyway, I was complaining to God, and then he reminded me, you live on the first floor of this six-story apartment, and you have a yard. You have some grass. You got a tree the kids can climb in. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's grass. And there are times we try just to get away. And people that live in the city out there, they often will, on their weekends or holidays, they will get a car or rent a car or get out of the city and go up into the hills and just get away. It's, it's a huge business. It's an industry. It's called Huai uh, Shenghua, which means outdoor life, outdoor living. It's a huge industry because people, we live in Hawaii, we just take it for granted. We see the mountains, we see the ocean, we see the blue sky. We see the palm trees swaying in the breeze. We get rain, we get sunshine. Birds all over the place. You want to walk them? Chickens. <laughs> Should be the state bird. <laughs> Feral chickens. There's nature all over, and we take it for granted. But there are people that live in in concrete jungles that don't have a clue. And there's a yearning. And when they can get out of it, they get out of it. They people don't typically go to a city to unwind, you know. To get out to the mountains, get out to to the forest to unwind. The Japanese have a term. I don't know what the word is in Japanese, but it means forest bathing. It doesn't mean going the in the in the, in the forest and take your clothes off. It means just go in the forest and just walk among the trees. It's a great idea. Forest bathing. Anyone know the name of that word in Japanese? Forest bathing? It's a good idea. Forest bathing. It's refreshing. It's renewing. God made man in the wilderness. And there's something about the wilderness that refreshes us. God created this world. This is my father's world, right? That's where John grew up. Luke 1 verse 80 says the child grew, talking about John, and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. He grew up in the wilderness. He ministered in the wilderness. Isn't it interesting? interesting. God did not send John to Jerusalem to rebuke the religious elders and leaders. He stayed in the wilderness. Why would God train John with a lifetime in the wilderness? 30 years. Yeah. 30 years. God ordained that John lift up his voice in the wilderness, not in the busy cities. God trained John to fulfill one mission in life, and that mission would be carried out in the wilderness. And Jesus went out to John to be baptized of John in the wilderness. And the people went out to him from the cities and from the villages out to John to be baptized of him in the wilderness. And God led people out to hear the preaching of that man in the wilderness. Yeah. Mark 1 verse 5, here it says, And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. Right. Makes me think of what Joshua said in Joshua 3 verse 9. Come hither, come here, come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And John's place of ministry should remind us that Serving God and listening to the Word of God should not depend upon whether it's convenient for us or not. Amen. Ministry is not convenient. And if you wait for convenience, you'll never, ever serve God. Because serving God is not convenient. Now, let's think about the privilege that God gave to John, verses 7 and 8. Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. 
Well, let's look at verse 6. And John was clothed with camel's hair. That sounds very scratchy to me. I've ridden a camel once, and it was very scratchy. John did baptize, uh, verse, verse 6, John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey. Talk about an organic, non-GMO diet. <laughs> One of my children asked me a few weeks ago, What's the opposite of food? And one of the older boys said, that food is not an opposite, there's no opposite to food. I said, I fought for a few seconds, I said, McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> and then I think it was maybe that same day we were coming home from church and on the way home, there's a jack-in-the-box that we had to stop next to. Looked over there and they had their big gaudy signs. You know, Japanese make their beautiful resin plastic foods to look at in the windows, right? And the, so you can see what the food looks like before you order it. It looks real. You couldn't eat it, but it looked beautiful. Jack in the box, they have photographs of fake food. <laughs> fake chicken, fake bread, fake lettuce, fake mayonnaise. It's probably airbrushed, you know. And we were coming home and I looked at that. I said, what is the opposite of food? Jack in the box. <laughs> Verse Verse 7, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I. This is the privilege that God gave John. There cometh, he got to say this. He got to say this. There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I am not worthy. Here's what he was saying. Someone's coming after me, and I don't even deserve to bend down and untie his shoelaces. That's how much mightier he is than I. That's how much better he is than I. I don't even deserve to touch his shoes. Verse 8. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. John prepared sinners to receive Jesus Christ. John preached about Jesus Christ. He pointed to Jesus Christ, what a privilege. What a privilege. Samuel and I are reading a book called The Last of the Giants. It is about three evangelists, three missionaries, who went to the lumberjacks of Minnesota in the early 1900s. Talk about a rough crowd. Talk about a tough crowd. And there was one man named Frank Higgins. He was a big, I've seen one picture of him. He was about, I think, five foot ten. He was shaped, he looked like he could, what's the word in geometry to understand? It means uh, congruent. He would be congruent with this pulpit. I mean, he looked like this pulpit. You stood here, that was, that was Frank Higgins. Frank Higgins was a strong, strong man, but he had a tender heart for those poor lumberjacks, and he would, he would carry a 70-pound pack on his back on snowshoes and go out to the lumber camps and preach to those men. And when he, before he died, he passed the mess, the mantle off to another group of men that, that came to follow in his wake and, and, uh, and talk about tough, tough men. But these men had a tremendous privilege. They took Christ to the lumberjacks. When Frank Higgins died, hundreds and hundreds of these lumberjacks came out of the woods to attend his funeral. 
and just to stand there, as it were, at attention for this man to have the privilege. He was the only man that cared for their souls, that would leave the cities and come to them and give them the gospel. The other preachers stayed in their churches, stayed in the cities. They did not care for the souls of those men. He went, he tried to get support from his denomination. They would not support him as a missionary because he did not have formal ordination. But he went to them anyway without support. And he preached to those men for several, several years. And he had the privilege of winning many, many, many of them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you and I ever get any privilege or blessing from God, let me say that there are many that he can give us. But if you seek one, if you're going to seek for one privilege, seek for this one. God, let me be a winner of souls. I love what Brother Keith said last week. Yes. Boy, this has been a strange week. This has been a strange week. But last week, Brother Keith stood right about here. No. He actually took the pulpit. Yeah. And he said, I want to win souls. Amen. Brother, that was very refreshing to my heart. Amen, man. Because we don't hear Christians talk like that much anymore these days. That's right. Keith said, I want to win souls. What's he saying? What were you saying? I think here's what he meant. I want to point someone to Jesus. Right. So that when we get to heaven, those people will be there too. Amen. John, John pointed to Jesus, and that was what made him such a unique and special individual. And God is not going to call us to be the one, the one voice ever in history to get to do the things that John did, to be the one to baptize the Son of God, to be the only one that the Bible tells us saw the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of John tells us that when the Lord Jesus came out of the water, when John baptized him, by the way, Pastor Matt, he posted something on Facebook. Here's what it was. It was a picture. He was showing us. He says, watch out. Not every book that calls itself Christian is a Christian book. It was a cartoon book of Jesus coming to John to be baptized, and they put words in their mouths. This little cartoon book for children. John looks at Jesus, and he said in the book, why do you need me to baptize you? And here's what Jesus said in the book. I have come to be baptized to wash my sins away. Oh, that negative. Oh, heresy. Heresy? Yeah. Blasphemy? Blasphemy, yeah. Absolute blasphemy. That's right. I said, what book is that? Yeah. He told me which book it was. Don't get that book. Awful. Just because a soul in a Christian bookstore and has a Christian publisher does not mean it is Christian. That's yeah. <laughs> right. That's a myth. Yeah. That, that people think it's in a Christian bookstore. Jesus Calling. That's a popular book. Very popular among Christians today. Your best life now? The purpose driven life? Yeah. Watch it. Watch it. Be careful. That's right. Test yeah. everything by this book. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Just because it's printed by a a Christian publisher or a big name pastor does not mean it is biblical. That's right. That's right. And if you follow what some of these men say, you might end up in hell. Yeah, right. I don't say that with joy, I don't say that with delight. It's just truth. Yeah. John had this privilege of pointing people to Jesus. And when the Lord Jesus Christ came up out of the water, 
John baptized him. The Lord said, the Lord did not say, it's so that my sins can be washed away. Because he had no sin. He knew no sin. He did no sin. Scripture is plain. He said, thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Which means, this is God's plan. And I think the reason Jesus submitted to John baptizing him was to say, I'm identifying with sinners. I will bear their sins. Amen. Sinners get baptized. I'm identifying with humanity. That's right. I've come as the son of man to die for the sins of, of mankind. Mm -hmm. But when Jesus came up out of the water, the Bible says that John bare record and said that he heard a voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And John saw something that no one else ever saw. The Bible tells us that he saw something, and the Bible does not record anyone else ever seeing this. He saw the Holy Spirit descend upon the Lord Jesus Christ in the form of a dove. Yeah. No one else has ever seen the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. Amen. God let John have that privilege. The greatest privilege he had was to point to Jesus and say, get ready, he's coming, and there he is, there's the Lamb of God, he takes away the sin of the world, look at him. That's right. Yeah. He must increase, I must decrease. That's right. I am not the Christ. There is one mightier than I. That's right. There's one greater than me. Amen. Follow him, believe him, look to him. And so... This is just doctrinal truth, but there's practical truth in it too, isn't it? Amen. Seek for the opportunity. Seek for the privilege. Pray for it. Pray for the, the privilege of pointing people to Jesus. Amen. And see what he does. That's right. Because I am convinced that it is the will of God for every Christian to have the opportunity to tell someone else about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you ask him to do what is his will... Will he not do it? <laughs> Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the example of John. He is not our Savior, but he is a great example because he pointed to Jesus. He pointed others to look to Jesus. And I pray you use us in that same way. Use us, as our brother said last week, use us to win souls for the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for that in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen.